Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Well, hello there. Hi. <laughs> we got a movie to do. Are you ready to do it? I'm ready to do it. This uh, this was something. It was something, and I, I appreciated it. <laughs> Did you? You know, why not? I think... It was our, I think for me, what I was most excited about was like, it was kind of one of our first, like late nineties, early two thousands intro movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know, that's my jam that, well, I mean, it was just whenever I was like in my teenage years, really just open to literally watching anything and everything horror and just consuming everything. So all the good and bad of it. I appreciate all of it. So it's more nostalgia for you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It was, it was, it was something. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) was something. Well, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find it because, well, yeah, the theater moves around a lot. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are finishing up a short series that we'll revisit every once in a while that we like to call Double Features, where we watch a horror classic one week and then watch its remake the next. And today, we are talking about the 1999 remake, The Haunting. Yep, yep, we're doing it. I don't think anybody asked for it, but we're doing it. (laughs) They certainly didn't. Uh, but it's happening. You know, we watched the original. It was a classic. It was fantastic. We loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some people decided to do it again. <laughs> Didn't really have the same charm. Yeah, it was different. It it suffered from that too much gene. Mm, yes. You know, as a Virgo, I have that. It's just a, a, too much. It's why I give too many facts. Everything is very interesting to me. <laughs> I just do too much. And that's what this movie was. Everything was just over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Everybody was all in and they were just doing doing a lot the whole time. And I, I found myself kind of checking checking the time on it you know and sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good indicator for me if I'm like enjoying a movie if I'm like okay how much longer do we have you know (laughs) and not necessarily in a bad way but like obviously seeing the original last week the story is already there there's not going to be any huge plot twists but there's got to be still something there that wants to make you see this again sure you you gotta bring something new to the table yeah yeah and that new thing needs to be interesting compelling and well done and they they missed the mark 
I think on all three of those points. But you know what? Even when we don't particularly are enthralled with the movie, we're still going to have a hell of a good time talking about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I honestly had a good time watching it, despite the, uh, you know, ins and outs of it all. Uh, I, I still had fun just because of of what was going on. And, and I loved getting to watch it, like I said, comparing it against the um, original so close to it. You know, it's, it's very rare that I do that with a movie. Mm. Uh, so it was genuinely really fun getting to kind of see those back-to-back differences. Yeah, well, I'm ready to talk about it. Let's freaking do it. But of course, before we jump into it, now is the time that I give you a spoiler warning. But of course, if you want to see this movie, you should definitely go do it. Uh, It's basically like last week's movie. It's uh, the same movie. So, you know, if you watched one and don't want to watch the other, whatever. No judgment here. We're here to spoil it either way. So I I recommend sticking with the original. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, definitely. If you're going to watch one of the two, the original. For sure. Is that is that spoiling our choices near the end? Are I, people going to be I picking up? I think we've already kind of, you know, shown our hand. <laughs> yeah. This one, we're wearing it on our sleeves, guys. But they don't just stick around just to hear our ultimate decision. Yeah. Nobody actually cares about that anyways. They're just like, yeah, we're here for it. Whatever. They want to hear us break it down. Exactly. And that's what we're here to do with spoilers and everything. So this is your warning. So take it or leave it can't say I didn't warn you. All right, so let's get to the wiki. And for this one, I've got a little hush-hush information about this movie you might not have heard before, so I'm excited to bring that to you. Do you have, like, some personal connections we need to talk about? You know, I I cannot reveal my sources. I can. It's Wikipedia. But (laughs) I didn't know this information, of course, so naturally as a Virgo, I have to assume no one knew that information because obviously... <laughs> I was the first to discover this. It's a shame you all didn't know this until now, but here I am to blow your minds. Anywho. Lay it on us. So The Haunting is a 1999 American supernatural horror film directed by Jan DuPont. And according to Wikipedia, the film is an actionized reimagining of the 1959 novel The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson and its 1963 British psychological horror film adaptation with which it shares its name. So this technically isn't a remake of Robert Wise's 1963 classic. Since the production company didn't have the remake rights, they were not allowed to replicate even one shot from the original film. Hmm. Instead, it had to be classified as a new adaptation of Shirley Jackson's novel. And this adaptation stars Lily Taylor as our dear Eleanor Vance, Oscar winner Catherine Zeta-Jones, and five other Oscar nominees, including Liam Neeson, Owen Wilson, Virginia Madsen, Todd Field, and Bruce Dern. This was a huge cast with some of the biggest names in Hollywood attached to the project behind the scenes. So for all intensive purposes, this movie should have been a slam dunk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when The Haunting was released in North America on July 23rd, 1999, it was immediately lambasted with negative reviews from both critics and the general audiences. Despite those negative opinions, the film still managed to eke out about $180 million worldwide. 
This time around, it's England's Harlexton Manor in Lincolnshire that was used as the exterior of Hill House, while its great hall served as the game room. Both the kitchen and pantry scenes were filmed at Belvoir Castle in Leicestershire, England, but other interior scenes were shot on sets built inside a dome-shaped hangar in Long Beach, California, that are still considered some of the largest interior sets ever built for a film. And I'm not kidding, you can tell. Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. This place is made to look gargantuan, mm-hmm. and it, it, it does. It, everything looks massive. Mm-hmm. Again, this is where we start with everything is just over the top yeah. it's it's almost too big mm-hmm. it, it's so big it's absurd mm-hmm. yeah well unfortunately the film was burdened with reshoots almost from the beginning in part because caleb Deschanel, a six-time academy award nominated cinematographer and father of actresses emily and zoe Deschanel, left over creative differences one week into filming The Haunting was critically panned upon its release, with most critics citing its weak screenplay, heavy reliance on horror cliches, and overdone CGI effects as the film's primary downfalls. Rotten Tomatoes has the movie at an impressively low 16% from over 100 reviews, with the critical consensus stating, quote, sophisticated visual effects fail to offset awkward performances and an uneven script, end quote. This film was considered so terrible, it was nominated for five Razzie Awards. It lost all five of its categories, but it got a second chance to be the worst with its six nominations for a Stinker's Bad Movie Award, where it did indeed win a Worst Picture Dishonorable Mention and beat out House on Haunted Hill for Worst Remake, uh, and we'll definitely be doing House on Haunted Hill as a double feature at some point. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. do love me some Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah. I'm and you know what? I didn't hate the remake of that. I'm excited to see it. It's it's pretty good. And and now for that hush hush info. I promise. So originally, Steven Spielberg had approached Stephen King about doing a haunted house movie, and the two agreed that Robert Weiss's 1963 The Haunting was the pinnacle of cinematic horror. So they started writing a script loosely based on that story, but eventually the two had creative differences and went their separate ways. What King had written he reworked into what would become Rose Red, a 2002 American television miniseries centered around a haunted house being investigated by a parapsychologist and a team of gifted psychics. Sound familiar? Well, what Spielberg had envisioned was what became our movie, 1999's The Haunting. This is a Steven Spielberg film, but Spielberg was so disgusted by the quality of the final product that he removed his name and ensured that the credits made no single mention of him. Oh, wow. Can you believe that? That is wild. I had no idea this was a Spielberg film. No, no. And it's horrible. I mean, that's a harsh word. It just, it certainly isn't what you would consider... Of Spielberg quality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and again, I think 
you know, and I don't know if it was to its deficit, but watching it so close to the original, I think was a big downfall also in our books. So yeah, it's, it's shocking to see it paired with that name. I would have never guessed. Yeah. And I've just literally never heard that happening. Oh, sure. That happens in in Hollywood all the time. There's a uh, a well-known name in Hollywood. Uh, it's Alan Smithy. And if you ever see the name Alan Smithy attached to a film, all you need to know is that that individual, whether this was a director, a producer, an actor, was so either embarrassed or disappointed with how that project turned out mm-hmm. that they didn't want their name associated with it. Mm. So they stick this fictional name on there, this Alan Smithy. And so that becomes the name that they, it happens all the time. That is so crazy. That's news to me. I, I suppose not new news, but yeah, that's just very, very interesting. I would have never, never guessed. Your sources prove well. <laughs> So similar to you, I also have a very great source, and uh, that is Rotten Tomatoes. So real quick, I'm going to read you the synopsis. Excellent. It says, This horror tale focuses on visitors to the secluded mansion of Hill House who have been called to the isolated location by Dr. David Morrow as part of a study on insomnia. However, Morrow is really investigating fear, and he plans to scare the subjects, including the introverted Nell and the seductive Theo, Unfortunately for Morrow and everyone staying at Hill House, the manor is actually haunted by an evil spirit out to torment its guests. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. And how did it describe Theo? Um, The seductive Theo? Is that what it said? Yes. Yeah. You don't get that at all in this movie. No, I will will say, and this was one thing, I, I don't think I made a note about it, but it is one thing I noticed watching it, was that I could definitely tell, like... And obviously, it's just a, a sign of like, you know, fashion changing with times and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. comparing to the Theo we saw in the original, while yes, they both seem to wear more um, grander outfits than like the rest of the cast, I think they were meant to kind of stand out. It seemed like this Theo was definitely more, for lack of better words, like sexualized. The outfits were definitely more like, revealing and stuff but Mm -hmm. I I felt and not that there's anything wrong with that but I felt like it didn't match her character because like you said this Theo didn't didn't come off as flirty as our Theo we saw in the original not at all yeah in fact there is no there is mention of of Theo's orientation which happens to be bisexual Mm -hmm. in this particular movie in the original she's actually lesbian uh but aside from that brief mention, there's really no kind of flirtation between any of the characters. Mm-hmm. There's there's no relationship that's developed. Whereas in the original, we got a nice little kind of love triangle thing going, yeah. whether Nell she realized she was in one or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that that definitely goes by the wayside. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was super interesting. Just the. Uh, difference of outfits and the difference of personalities it just it, it didn't seem you would expect the the other Theo that's more uh, behaviorally seductive to be wearing these more risque outfits mm-hmm. or whatever but that's not the case but I mean either way Catherine Zeta-Jones is gorgeous as always oh sure so there's no Absolutely. fault in any part of it she just looks stunning as always but yeah I just thought it was interesting this this Theo I definitely expected I think because again it being 1999 and I'm just thinking like 
maybe while I know 1999 was not nearly as progressive as it is now, I'm thinking maybe it's a little bit more progressive than it was back when the original was made. So I was I was thinking, oh, they would be able to push that line a little bit more with this one. But like you said, it was non-existent. Oh, yeah. It, it actually, to me, kind of felt like it went, they pulled back on it quite oh, a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, I felt like they put that mention in of her orientation because it's known that that's established in this book because mm. it's known that this book has that queer theme mm-hmm. but it's like it felt like they just put that in there because they needed to right yeah yeah agreed well before we get into the actual nitty-gritty of the movie obviously we're going to be referring to the original quite a bit uh, which was last week's episode so if you haven't heard that one you might want to stop here and go back and listen to that one first so you can because I mean, there's going to be specific things that we kind of point to. And if you don't know what we're talking about, then you won't know what we're talking about. And that's how those things work. <laughs> it is. Plain and simple. I, think I don't we know even, if I can say it any clearer. <laughs> I think we even mentioned that last episode. I think we did. So I don't know why. <laughs> this is something persistent that I feel I have to keep telling everybody and reminding them that if they don't know something, then they don't know it. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know (laughs) anything. I'll be the first to admit it. I like to pretend that I do. And I read very many things that I find on the interwebs. Yeah. But I really know nothing. (laughs) You play it off very well, though, because you could tell me any facts. And I'd be like, yeah, why? Yeah, that makes sense. I always trust you. So (laughs) do you know that all monkeys have a third nipple in their armpit? That makes sense. Who am I to say no? It's absolutely not true. Well, you should have said that before. <laughs> it's now a rumor being spread across the radio waves. And monkeys are furious. <laughs> well, let's get to it. So we see our DreamWorks logo. This is a Spielberg company. Uh, and it's very windy. That's all you hear is... Whoo. Yeah. And we keep hearing this wind as we pull back and reveal very briefly our new hill house it's like uh, is that it that's that's all that's the big reveal because literally all we could see was the roof mm-hmm. it's a very scary roof yeah i mean it's not an approachable roof by any means i mean it's big it's intimidating mm-hmm. i would stay away from that roof yeah it's not one i'm gonna try to just climb without asking it might be my popcorn spiller for this movie <laughs> just the roof because there wasn't much more scary <laughs> going on <laughs> Well, after a title card, we cut to some rundown apartments in some large undetermined metropolis area, and we see two horror heavy hitters, Lily Taylor, who plays our new Eleanor, or Nell, uh, who also stars in the Conjuring series, and she is arguing with her sister Jane, who is played by the incredible Virginia Madsen, who of course also starred in Candyman, The Haunting in Connecticut, and The Prophecy. And they are fighting because Nell and Jane's mother has died and their mother made Jane's husband, Lou, the executor of her will to do with her property as he sees fit. They also have an irritating son, but he doesn't taunt Nell about her blinking like in the original. (laughs) He just knocks shit off the coffee table and laughs like a goober. (laughs) What? I immediately just wanted to just go, you know what? I've had it with these irritating children in these movies. Just stop everything you're doing. I really did, like, the whole time I was waiting for him to start, 
even if like she wasn't blinking, like I, I figured they were going to try to work that in somehow. Well, he does get a little taunt in. So Jane and Ron have decided to sell the mother's home, which is actually an apartment, but they're graciously giving Nell her car, to which Nell says, so you're selling my home, but giving me a 20-year-old car. <laughs> to which Ron replies, oh, well, we'll deduct the cost of the car from the profits of the sale of the apartment. So sweet. Oh, and they'd like to hire her to come and cook and clean for them and take care of their little shit of a kid who's now banging on the wall with a cane and mocking, Eleanor, help me, I gotta pee, and then laughs like a goober again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he uh, was just a literal turd the whole time, and I even made a note about it. I'm just kind of like, sorry, we're stealing your home, but don't worry, we're offering you a job to watch our brat child. Yeah. (laughs) It's just absolutely horrifying thought yeah yeah well I, I was curious this child who's whose name is Sal Prevere uh never worked in this town again like this is literally his only credit he has on IMDb there's not even a photo of him on there oh he, he didn't do anything before this and nothing after it so I don't know how he got this gig but immediately they could tell this was not gonna be I wonder if he was like somebody's kid or something possibly possibly well he did great he was the star of the film honestly he was something else (laughs) so Nell kicks them out and uh, walks around the apartment she'll soon be losing she walks into her mother's room where we can see a cane on the bed and needlepoint over the bed that says a place for everything and everything in its place so Nell walks over to the bed and takes her mother's necklace from the bedpost and puts it around her neck So this is pretty much the same setup as the original film. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously some things have been changed and tweaked a little bit, but Nell has devoted her life to and took care of their invalid mother until her death and now has no real life purpose. She's never developed any outside relationships. She's literally everything has just been, you know, to the care of her mother. Mm -hmm, Mm hmm. Well, all of that is about to change when she gets a phone call from someone telling her to check out an ad in the paper looking for subjects to participate in a psychological study for $900 a week. $900 a week in 1999, that was a good chunk of change. I I wouldn't turn my nose up to $900 a week now. I wouldn't either. Sign me up. (laughs) Well, next we see Mary talking to Dr. David Morrow, played by Liam Neeson. Mary is his assistant, and she has pulled the files of several people she believes would be good candidates for his study. Morrow is looking for people who are highly suggestible to study how they react to fear. He's disguising it as a clinical insomnia study because, quote, you don't tell the lab rats they're actually in a maze, end quote. His boss person dude whoever he is tells him he can't ethically do this but we gotta have a plot for this movie so we're doing it (laughs) plot twist the plot's happening (laughs) plot twist there's actually a plot (laughs) well next we see nell driving her new 20 year old car which happens to be a 1974 amc gremlin on her way to hill house at least we are spared the inner monologues this time Because this version definitely goes heavy on the paranormal side of things. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. even though the other characters may question Nell's sanity at times, 
it's obvious the house is indeed haunted and you know it's not a possible figment of Nell's unquieted mind you don't have that you know that question that you had with the the original movie you know is she insane is this haunting happening all in her mind or is this place really haunted mm-hmm. it, and with this movie there's just there's no question yeah they didn't really leave that questionable to the viewer at all I think they played that in a way that we were supposed to be on Nell's side and be like no she's really seeing stuff going mm-hmm. on you know yeah yeah well Nell pulls up to the gate and we get a full proper reveal of the home and it is huge it's a big one i mean this is not hill house this is hill asylum that could hold twelve thousand inmates this place is massive it's it's unfathomable i don't even know what you need to do with all that space (laughs) what do you even use all these rooms for i just (laughs) this is where i put my monday plate i mean i don't that's i feel like i would forget rooms like i forget i had certain rooms i would have i been in this room before i don't think i have well Nell gets out of her car and walks up to the gate only to find that it's chained up tight but then old mr dudley the caretaker pops up just as cranky as we expect him to be And this is actor Bruce Dern, who has a few other horror thriller flicks to his name, such as Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie and great exploitation films like Bloody Mama with Shelley Winters and a kooky little film called The Incredible Two-Headed Transplant, uh, which also starred Casey Kasem from American Top 40. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, but I saw that he was listed in the cast. I'm like, what? That's crazy. And now it's time for a long distance dedication. (laughs) Uh, So Bruce Dern, he's also the father of actress Laura Dern. I'm sure you remember her from Jurassic Park. Never heard of her. (laughs) But get this, he's also a very accomplished, like long distance runner. He's been running track since high school and once qualified for the Olympic trials. Oh my gosh. But it gets better. Apparently, Eleanor Roosevelt was once his babysitter. Like the Eleanor Roosevelt, as in wife of President Franklin D. <laughs> Roosevelt, one of the most well known first ladies in history, was his babysitter. I feel like he. he probably just flexes that for <laughs> i mean i would i probably would too to be honest so uh, here's the lowdown apparently he tells this story that apparently his grandfather i think it was was like the secretary of war for franklin d roosevelt and they weren't at the white house they were at his grandfather's property and the roosevelts had come to visit for whatever reason but this was supposed to be like a business thing for them and but Bruce was there. He was very young, obviously, if she's going to babysit him. And he like hits his head and gets knocked out. And when he comes to who is sitting over his bed and caring for him while the men are off doing their business. But freaking Eleanor Roosevelt. No big deal. It's crazy. I mean, whatever. I want stories like that. <laughs> I can maybe like see if I can contact a an old president or <laughs> and be like, can you watch her for an hour? I just need to run out. I mean, it really doesn't need to be anyone in politics. I'm, I'm good to stay away from all of that. Oh, okay. So uh, you just want like somebody. Just a cool name drop story. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cool. I can do that. 
Well, after some smart-ass cranky talk, Mr. Dudley allows Nell through the gate and she makes her way up to the front door, which, like the original, has two giant door knockers. But these aren't the creepy cherub faces in the 1963 version. These, I believe, are supposed to be Adam and Eve. There's two different knockers, one on each door, uh, and she's handing Adam an apple. And they're both surrounded by a snake. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's pretty pretty spot on. <laughs> the be. Adam and Eve kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but Adam also appears to be very excited that Nell is at the door. <laughs> like, it appears he's standing up at attention. <laughs> and I don't mean in the military sense. You feel me? Yeah, it was not something that I think should go on a front door. I'm just saying, I, I don't know if it's just like a shadow or if this is just a weird angle, but Eve should be like, bitch, I'm the one bringing you apples and you out here turning your head at any messy bitch that comes be bopping up to the door. <laughs> you better get to stepping and take your old crusty fig leaf with you because you ain't getting any more of my apples. Crusty fig leaf. <laughs> well, Nell knocks several times and receives no answer. And she also discovers the door is basically open. So in proper horror movie fashion, apparently it's not just a 1970s horror thing. (laughs) She just lets herself right the fuck in without express invitation to do so. I must have some deep-seated issue with trespassing. Like, I don't know why it bothers me so much, but every time I see it, it gets under my skin. Well, I think it's maybe like at its core, like maybe you're like only child thing. Like it's like, what's mine is mine. Well, yeah, it's it's extremely disrespectful. Yeah. Oh, no, I get it. I don't want people just walking in my house either, but maybe that's it. Yeah. It's infuriating. <laughs> don't touch my shit. It's my don't shit. walk into my house. <laughs> I got what's mine. I keep it. Don't touch it. <laughs> Everything's in its place. Don't move it. <laughs> well, we see a massive entryway. She's in this huge foyer with several huge statues of griffins. There are more griffins here. <laughs> Than at Gryffindor. In fact, I think at one point, did you make some comment about you feel like you're at Hogwarts? Yeah. Both pulling up. I said that. I was like, oh, we're going to Hogwarts. And then once we got inside, I was like, oh, we're playing the chess game. Okay. There are like too many Griffins here for one place. It's like there really should be a Griffin cutoff at some point. (laughs) Well, Nell keeps hollering hello and getting no answer, but she starts to hear a noise like... I don't know, maybe footsteps or a bouncing ball. And she follows it around the house until she discovers Miss Dudley in the kitchen with a butcher's knife. And before you get excited that we may have switched over to the classic movie based off a board game clue, Miss Dudley explains that she can't cook dinner and answer the door at the same time. You idiot. You apparently have come in here with your expectations entirely too high. You've clearly never cooked a meal before because you know that you can't do more than one thing at once. Well, you've been stuck at home taking care of your mom? (laughs) Get with the times, Nell. You try answering your door next time, huh? (laughs) How about that? Well, Mrs. Dudley shows Nell to her room, but now we understand fully why these sets were built for this movie why they had to be so big. This foyer and staircase 
are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, they don't they don't even look real. They don't the staircase you could literally fit like seven people standing shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And they could just walk up the stairs together at the same time. Yeah. Side by side. You'd have like a show choir standing on the stairs. Rockettes could do performances on mm-hmm. those stairs. And they should. They'd look beautiful there. Well, we also see a painted portrait of Hugh Crane, the original owner and builder of the house. Uh, And apparently you and I also (laughs) immediately got on the same wavelength with what we thought he looked like. Because what did you write down in your notes? Uh, I was asking myself why anybody needed to have a portrait of Wolverine in their house. Okay, well, first of all, many X-Men fans uh, don't even think that's a question that should be asked. They're like, we're going to have pictures and we're going to enjoy them. <laughs> Secondly, I, I was on the X-Man theme, but I said he looked like the Beast, just not blue. He just, he's got a lot of the hair and mutton chops going on. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's very, he's just a big hulking man. Yeah. Well, the, but yeah, the portrait itself is very giant. And that's what's, I think, m- most like discerning about it. Mm-hmm. It's just like. The first thing you see is this giant ass portrait of Wolverine at the top of the staircase, <laughs> welcoming you two into like into the hallways and the bedrooms. I'd be like, "See, this is already foreboding, and I don't think I should keep going." <laughs> the staircase is too big, and so is that Wolverine, and I'm not moving. I am overwhelmed by Wolverine, <laughs> and I must lay down. <laughs> I was not warned about this. <laughs> well, Nell is taken to the aptly named Red Room and is told she will be the first guest to Hill House since Mr. Crane died. There are also life-size kids' heads carved all around the fireplace and the walls and the headboard. It's weird and I hate it. It's literally the dumbest decor choice like it's so scary. <laughs> I I literally it's unsettling. Told, yeah, I told myself like if if somebody I walked into somebody's house and they were like, "Here's your room," I would be like, "You know, no, I think I need like the living room couch or something. <laughs> I'll sleep in my car for the night." You know, I don't know. It just seems like I don't need all these baby heads staring at me in my sleep. Yeah, can... and yet Nell's like, "Oh, this is beautiful. I've always wanted to stay in a place with baby heads." And she's like, <laughs> "Like nobody's concerned about how excited Nell is to be in this bedroom." And that's where I think we need to start in this movie is that point right there. Cuz that's where it gets creepy. I'm sorry. I specifically asked for the non-baby headroom. I will also need a kosher meal. Thank you. I've seen the size of this house. I know you have other rooms here. I will stay in a linen closet. It has to be at least the size of a two-car garage. I'm just going on to the specs of the rest of the house. It's absurd. Those stairs alone, each step is the size of a twin-size bed. I'll sleep on a stair, okay? Ma'am, there's no way you could possibly clean this entire house by yourself. Where is the rest of your staff? I call sham. (laughs) Well, all that baby head weirdness gets set aside because it's time for Miss Dudley's classic speech. Dinner is at six. Breakfast is at nine. I don't stay at night. In the dark. We live in town. We can't hear you. In the night. In the dark. 
it's all the same words. All the same words. But it doesn't have the same effectiveness as the original. It literally came across how I just read it. Just boring and flat. Yeah, it was very deadpan. Like I was I was waiting for that moment for it to kind of have that zing of the humor because I was like that other one was just so funny that I expected that to be put put in this movie as well and and yeah it was just so like I don't nobody else made you scream I'm in town it's dark outside yeah I, <laughs> whatever I, she says <laughs> in the dark at night I yeah I I think what they were trying to go like with the more foreboding sense of it like ooh, you're gonna be here we can't hear you we, yeah you know but it just it didn't work it didn't work like it did in the original where they realized the underlying humor that's there in mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. yeah and i think it would be in this movie it would serve it more purpose if if this character played more of a role because in the original miss dudley her character did seem like such like a a release of you know that tension mm -hmm. watching it yeah um, and this one didn't and so it was just kind of, it it almost I think if you if you hadn't seen the original like we had I almost would have been like what was the point of her character oh I actually wrote in my notes I said if I hadn't seen the original the Miss Dudley character would have been forgotten mm -hmm. oh a hundred percent yeah when they showed back up at the end I would be like oh yeah I forgot there were caretakers mm -hmm. in the house mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's such a shame because definitely missed opportunity mm -hmm. lots of missed opportunities here well, Nell starts to unpack and looks out the window to see a flashy red sports car is now parked in the driveway. Enter Theodora, or Theo, and she's not an obsessive overpacker. I just use it as an exploitive way of making new friends when they have to carry it for you, which is exactly what you look for in a new friend, is someone that will exploit you mm -hmm. for your services. Yeah. So obviously Theo is very abrupt and obviously comes from money. She's wearing Prada boots, Milan, not New York. And I'm sure the only people who are ever impressed by statements like that are only other people who have money. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I've heard the word Prada. Yes, very expensive. Yeah. Good for you. You've done well for yourself. <laughs> that alone was impressive. Now you've gone too far. Now by I telling care. me whether they're from Milan or New York, that probably means something very important. But I don't care, nor do I know. <laughs> now you've lost my interest in now that. You may go away. <laughs> Leave boots, go away. Well, they arrive at Theo's room, which is the size of our entire house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's a giant bedroom. Just everything is just ridiculous. And now it's time for Miss Dudley to give her speech again, which she does. Only this time, Nell helps her out by finishing the good parts. Like, no one will come any closer than that. And in the dark. So, if you listen to the last episode, you know Miss Dudley's spiel. Both those moments were two of my favorite moments in the original film. And because they had already flubbed the first scene of Miss Dudley's speech, I was really dreading this scene but for me it was actually lily taylor that ended up pulling this one off this mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. she nailed it and played it perfectly kind of in a more um like a subtle mocking of miss dudley yeah. and a, a little 
nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of thing for Theo. Just kind of like this chick. Am I right? Mm -hmm. But it's really subtle and low key, but it worked and it helped endear me toward the Nell character. Mm -hmm. You know, gone is this nervous, crazy monologuing Nell that you worry is going to flip out at any moment. And we now get this sweet, likable underdog Nell that's been put upon by her family. And now that she's free, you want to see her succeed. Mm -hmm. And that seriously was all just summed up for me in that short, seemingly mundane scene. And that's all Lily Taylor. You know, well done. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I noticed that as well, that I think... If it wasn't for the fact of having seen the original and for Lily Taylor there in that scene, I, I think, again, that scene would have left me wondering, like, what is happening here? Like, am I almost frustrated as a viewer? Like, am I missing something? Am I missing the point of what is being said here? Because it doesn't really, because it doesn't give you that humor excuse. You're mm-hmm. left wondering, like, what what's happening here? and What's the point of the scene? Yeah. Yeah. But I absolutely agree. I think she totally saved it. And I, I think... Uh, it definitely helped carve out more of her personality for us. For sure. Well, also in the middle of that, do you remember Theo doing this running somersault onto the bed? Yes. Okay. But did you also pick up that somehow her head ends up at the head of the bed on the pillows when that's where her feet would have landed if she had done a somersault? Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, so think about it. She comes running toward the foot of the bed. Mm -hmm. And so once she gets to the end of the foot of the bed, she starts to do a somersault. So she flips, lands on her back. So her feet should have ended up where the pillows are. Yeah. But when they show her landing in position, her head ends up down there. Mm -hmm. So somehow she's done this magical flip and turn and half gainer... (laughs) Flip, knock your head on a diving board. And I don't know how she did it, but it's also not the only time she's going to do something very magical in this movie that cannot be explained. (laughs) Well, Miss Dudley leaves the room and it's time for Nell and Theo to get to know each other. Nell says she's between jobs and that the last one kind of ended, which is an odd way of saying that your mother died. But obviously that's not something she wants to talk about, which is, I will say, is a welcome difference from the original. Yeah. Where we don't hear Nell saying, my mother, my mother, my mm-hmm. mother, every other freaking sentence. Yeah. Well, we learn that Theo is bisexual and undresses in front of Nell, which makes Nell uncomfortable. And then Nell refuses to say whether or not she's in a relationship with either gender, But Nell does claim she has a little apartment with a little garden, and you can just see the harbor if you lean out far enough. And she is certainly not describing that shithole we saw a few minutes ago. (laughs) So obviously, just like in the original, she's trying to impress Theo and make it sound like she does have some sort of life. Yeah, just embellishing and kind of wanting to make herself seem, uh, you know, like she came for more than she did. Absolutely. And, of course, like we were saying up at the top of the episode, this is really the only mention of Theo's attraction to women, or really to anyone. There is none of the overt flirting with Nell and no love triangle at all in this version. In fact, we know Nell is very uncomfortable with Theo's attention 
when Theo reaches out to pull a hair off Nell's sweater and Nell swoops out of the way so fast. Yeah. And then just does this kind of, she looks like she's trying to get bats out of her hair. She's just like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, all right, we get it. I, I think uh, Theo got the point. Yeah. Well, after this, the girls then go exploring and see a bronze sculpture carved into the front of two giant double doors. Again, I mean, these things are like three stories tall. Yeah, I, I think even at one point, I think it even is later in the movie, but I think even at one point, she Theo like steps out and she's like, I'm going to close the door behind me or whatever. And I was like, no, she's closing the wall. <laughs> yes. She's closing a piece of the wall. It's they're huge. Well, Nell explains how it depicts a scene of children being trapped in purgatory. There's even an inscription that says, All ye who stand before these doors shall be judged. How cheery for a home. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, welcoming, warm, comforting. It's weird how we took the jump to live, laugh, love. Because really, <laughs> those are kind of one and the same. If you think about it. <laughs> I was going to ask, is this is something that we can get, you know, from Magnolia? <laughs> can we order that? <laughs> get it through the Target app? <laughs> well, the girls then make their way through the rest of the house. That's more of a fun house than somewhere where someone would have lived. There are hallways set up to look like fake mirrors and a room with a spinning floor, and another one that looks like a flooded library with stacks of books used as, uh, like, stepping stones to walk across the water. Uh, it's fantastical. Mm -hmm. It'd be a great place to go if you were, like, at Disneyland. Uh, but it's just so over the top for a house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Again, it's just like, wow, we just kept going, didn't we? <laughs> just kept going. <laughs> Well, all of this exploration eventually leads back to the giant foyer where the girls run into our final participant, Luke. Wow. It's Owen Wilson. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, Luke is one of those people that is defined by their neuroses. Like, they all know the terminology and the treatments and the different prescriptions, and they constantly have to share that information with you or try and diagnose you. It's just that's who they are. Constantly reaffirming their knowledge and sharing that knowledge is a comfort to them, and that's just how they act. But I, I think we've all been around people like that. Like immediately they talk to you, they're like, what do you take and what are you diagnosed with? You know, And they're all about their their therapy and what's going on with them because they're so centered around that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next Dr. Marl and his assistants, Mary and Todd arrive as well. Everyone heads off to find their rooms, but Mary hangs back and can sense something off in the house. So next we're all in the dining room having dinner and Theo is refilling everyone's wine glass and explaining how she doesn't know if she wants to be cured for her insomnia. Remember, all three of the participants think they're here for a sleep study because Theo gets her best ideas when she's trying to fall asleep. But Luke hates being up that late because there's nothing good to watch on TV. But Nell explains how she doesn't even have insomnia. She thinks her life is too boring to keep her awake at night. And when Dr. Morrow says she put on her application that she had trouble sleeping, 
What she meant was that she was just kept awake by her mother in the past, always banging on the wall and needing something. And she got so used to the banging that even though she's dead, now she still hears the banging. Well, now they all feel very sad for Nell and also think she might be a little weird. Which kind of sounds like me at parties. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. 100%. That's me. Always saying some dumbass that just brings the room down. It's like, well, fuck. (laughs) And who invited her again? (laughs) I will just be showing myself out. Thank you. (laughs) Well, next we're in the parlor and Maro is handing out questionnaires and tests to the participants. They are to fill them out over the course of the week and they are not allowed to leave or go into town. There's no telephone service, no television, And of course, seeing as how this is 1999, no Wi-Fi or smartphones. They just have each other and the house to keep them company. Sounds perfect. Well, Morrow tells the story of the history of the house. The house was built by Hugh Crane, a 19th century textile tycoon. Crane built the house for his wife, hoping to populate it with a large family of children. Unfortunately, all of Crane's children died during childbirth. His wife, Renee, also ended up dying before the house was finished and Crane became a recluse. But he kept on building room after room like he was preparing for the family he never had. But Mary, Morrow's assistant, thinks there's more to the story and says she can feel it in the house. But the house don't like her talking shit and slaps her across the eye with a piano wire. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. (laughs) Snitches get stitches, bitch. (laughs) Don't talk shit about this house. Learn to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) And it won't have to cut a bitch. She learned her lesson. (laughs) Well, this is a serious injury and assistant Todd is going to have to drive one-eyed assistant Mary into town to go to the hospital. So Morrow gives Todd the gate key and tells them he expects them back as soon as possible. So two things have happened here. One, they have no way of opening the gate if another emergency happens because now Todd is leaving with the only gate key they have. And two, the waiting room at whatever hospital they end up at must be ridiculous because we never see these two again. Yeah, they just they just bounced. Like at least a couple more days are going to pass within this movie and they are never even mentioned again. But I mean, well, I mean, okay. Yeah, they should have been mentioned again, but also like in real life, if I get slapped in the eye with a piano cord by a house, I'm not going to go hang out there again. Probably not, but it just seems like Todd would probably want to go back maybe, but also at least, you know, I got the keys. I'm, I should go drop this off. Maybe I'm. we all came in the same car. I don't know. But it's just, I couldn't understand what the point of these characters was. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're here for maybe a total of 30 seconds of screen time. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little more than that. But I, I just, I didn't get it. They, they added absolutely nothing to this movie. Yeah. My, I guess my, my only guess would be that, you know, they kind of had to show, I guess, the ferocity of the house, you know, without endangering one of our main characters right off the bat i think you can still do that you know give someone a good whip on the arm or something and say oh crap something's going on here Mm -hmm. there are still ways that that could have been portrayed it just seemed like 
and why two people? Yeah. It yeah. was just, it was ridiculous. It was like, what? Why were they here? <laughs> Maybe they were ghosts. Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't real the whole time. I wish this movie wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time, you're like, I wish this isn't real. I wish this wasn't real. Is this happening? <laughs> Well, as they're locking up the gate, Mauro tells Luke that there was something else about Crane's story that he left out, and he asks that Luke not tell the women. Of course, Luke agrees. Cut to the next scene, where we see Luke catching up with Nell and Theo on the stairs, and he immediately tells them everything Mauro just told him, which is that Crane's wife, Renee, didn't just die, she actually committed suicide. Bum, 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 bum. More tragedy. So the girls head off to bed and Morrow is dictating notes into a recorder and is explaining how Luke telling the ladies the story he was told not to share was predicted and all a part of Morrow's plan. He's feeding into the haunting myths of the house to implant seeds of fear into his subjects. Well, later that night, we see that Luke is, of course, still up. He is an insomniac and is reading a book called Power Sleep and shooting candy pills into his mouth. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure if it, they kind of look like little smarties. Yeah. So I'm going with candies, but it's he's, he's got some sort of like mechanical Pez dispenser that like, you know, it whirs around and then shoots candy at your face. This seems very dangerous. But also, I kind of want one. Oh, I definitely want one. <laughs> I, I would wager that uh, they probably don't make them anymore. They probably got sued because some kid lost an eye. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's then seen walking the halls, tossing a baseball over and over into a glove. So that's kind of his uh, coping mechanism for when he can't sleep. He'll, he'll pace and he just throws this baseball into his glove over and over. Well, next, Theo comes into Nell's room and tells her, I like the way you comb your hair like that. <laughs> it's such a weird deliverance statement. Like, you sure got a pretty mouth. <laughs> it's just creepy and not something you just say to someone. Yeah. It's weird. It was, there was like that line and I think another one that made me question, like, was this their attempt to make her flirty? If that was the case... That is not how Catherine Zeta-Jones played it. It's so deadpan. Yeah. There is nothing sultry or seductive about it. It's just, I like the way you comb your hair like that. <laughs> what? Get out of here, you <laughs> fucking creep. What is wrong with Leave everyone here? my room. <laughs> I would throw the brush at her and just go, ew, <laughs> no. Get out. <laughs> Before I rub your nose in it. Well, there was actually nothing weird meant by Theo. She just generally wanted to show her kindness and give Nell a shaw. So it was just this weird but nice moment. And I also think that, you know, in, in the original, because there was this supposed love triangle that Nell was oblivious to, but because Theo was so fixated on Nell and would get so jealous of any attention that she would get from the doctor that she would get very snippy and downright rude with Nell mm -hmm. and almost act as a bully, you know, like one does when they get their feelings hurt. 
And you don't get that at all in this movie no. with this Theo and Nell. And this Theo becomes very protective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of Nell. And of course, the Theo in the original was as well. But you just didn't see that because there was just all that tension and jealousy yeah. you know, wrapped up in her feelings for Nell. Well, later, Nell is in bed and is looking around the room at all the ornate carvings and fixtures and looks over at the children's heads carved into the fireplace. She looks away briefly, but when she looks back, the children's heads have turned and now are all looking at her. Literally, my nightmare just happened. Fuck no, I am out. And this bitch just stays in the bed. Yeah, she just kind of like, Okay. Surely it was just her imagination. Yeah. And I, the the heads were all turned that way all along. Yeah. It's all like, oh, I possibly couldn't be seeing that. I don't care. Get out. <laughs> Get out. Well, she ends up falling asleep. But as she does, children's voices can be heard saying the Lord's Prayer. It's actually quite loud. And I don't understand why she isn't waking up and going, who the hell is talking? Where are those voices coming from? Who has kids in here? <laughs> Is the fireplace talking? I mean, nothing. She just goes to sleep. That's another thing. If I hear disembodied children's voices start saying the Lord's Prayer, I'm freaking the fuck out. Yeah, I'm I'm not hanging out there. No. Well, back with Luke in the hall, he's still playing with his ball and comes around a corner and runs into Dr. Morrow, scaring them both. They make some small talk and it's pretty much a pointless scene. That's it. Nothing Nothing happens here. No, no. Well, back in Nell's room, a knocking can be heard, and Nell wakes up thinking it's her mother calling to her. The knocking turns into banging, and Theo starts to call out for Nell. So Nell goes running into Theo's room, and they both can hear the banging. The room turns freezing cold, so cold the girls can now see their breath. Something starts to pound on the door so hard it rattles against the latch, but then moves away from the door. The coldness subsides and Theo thinks it's over, but then the knob on the bathroom door starts to turn. Nell runs over quickly to lock the door so whoever is now in Nell's room can't get into Theo's room, but then the banging starts on the main door again, but this time it's Luke. So Theo rushes over to let him in and asks if he can hear the banging too. But Luke just claims that all he could hear was Theo calling out specifically to him for help. To which Theo says, I wasn't screaming for you. (laughs) It's actually a cute little moment because you can tell that Luke has a little crush on Theo. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not reciprocated. And so the way she says that, it's just kind of like, I would never call for you. Yeah. (laughs) Get over yourself. (laughs) Well, she explains how it was first coming from her room and then Nell's room. So Luke goes into Nell's room to investigate, but doesn't find anything. But the best part about this scene is we actually get to hear Owen Wilson say, wow, (laughs) he actually says it uh, because he's complaining about his room size. Apparently, he got a really small room and everyone else has huge rooms. I'd be like, you want to trade? You can have the baby <laughs> you room. You can have baby head room <laughs> all the way, sir. Well, next, everyone is down in the kitchen drinking tea, and Luke is turning the water on and off 
which is causing the plumbing to make a creaking noise, which he wants to know if this is the sound that they were hearing. Theo says she did take a bath earlier, but Nell says, then how do you explain the breath and the cold? But since no one else heard anything, they all just chalk it up to the plumbing and head back to their rooms. Back in bed, Nell is asleep with the window open and the curtain is blowing into the room. And we get the first of what is to be a whole movie full of really shitty CGI effects. <laughs> I mean, they are terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, they were really, you know, the beginning stages of CGI and, uh, you can tell. <laughs> you can really, really tell. You know, I think the thing that all these movies around this time suffer from is we were just breaking into that CGI technology where things were just really started to break open and people were doing really fantastic things with it, but it was still so brand new. Yeah. But people were so excited about it, they'd find any excuse no matter how shitty it looked, to throw it into the movie. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I would imagine that at the time, people were probably very impressed by these effects just mm -hmm. because it's something that they had never seen any before. It's like, wow, look what we can do now with computers. It's getting crazy, you know. But now <laughs> we look back and go, yeah, it was too soon. We, we should not have rushed that technology because <laughs> we were not ready. It just looks really bad. And unfortunately, what that does is it really takes you out of the movie. Yeah. Because here you're going along, you're following the story, and all of a sudden you get this horrible looking effect. And it just completely takes you out of the fantasy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's unfortunate. And it's it wouldn't be so bad if the story and performances and you know were really strong. You could overlook a lot of that. Mm, nope, that's that's not here either. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, this effect is supposed to look like some little child apparition is forming in the curtains and then, you know, makes her way over to the sheets and goes up the sheets. But it just looks so bad and it's not the right size. Sometimes it's real tiny. Sometimes it's the size of a child. It just, it looks pretty bad. Well, the spirit actually talks to Nell and tells her that she needs to find them, them meaning the children. Well, the next morning, Nell is sitting in the giant foyer doing what appears to be some puzzles in a highlights magazine. I think there's, <laughs> I think there's supposed to be the like tests and stuff that the doctor gave out, mm -hmm. but they look like deceivingly simple. Yeah, I think I even said like I out loud, I was like, "Are they doing coloring pages?" <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it's bizarre. Mm -hmm. Well, Luke comes in to say how he doesn't believe the Crane story about him being heartbroken over his lost wife and children, and that he's probably just an old tyrant who worked those kids to death as child labor in his textile mills. Well, we all know the house doesn't like it when you talk shit, so Luke has now put a target on his back, but he quickly moves on to talk about how he doesn't trust Dr. Morrow or his experiment either, and he aims to get to the bottom of it. But first, he's going to go check on Theo. And Nell teases him that maybe he just wants to see what outfit she's wearing. To which he responds, Wow, yeah, I definitely got a soft spot for Theo. <laughs> <laughs> so he says wow again. 
Oh, it's it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, it's it's what carried the whole film. <laughs> really, every time he said it, it was just like, oh, he did it. <laughs> well, after he leaves, Nell goes back to the puzzle on the back of her Lucky Charms. It's still they look ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Spot the difference. <laughs> it, it was like literally a maze she was drawing through with her pencil. Yeah, and not a difficult one. Yeah, I did think that was funny because she kind of like pauses, like ponders, like which, and then I think she. Doesn't she even like erase it or something? Like she gets flustered with it or something? I don't know. But I remember Possibly. thinking the same thing. Like I was like, girl, <laughs> come on. Well, she starts to hear and see wind coming from the absurdly large fireplace in the room. It's literally the size of a one car garage. Yeah, I, I even put in my notes, I was like, I don't think anybody should have a fireplace that you can just walk into. And, and they can hazardous. literally walk into it without ducking. Mm-hmm. It's so over the top. Yeah, it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's again, a whole ass wall is this fireplace. <laughs> well, we also see something pull Nell's hair and we actually see it pull it out in front of her forehead. And then something comes charging at her from the fireplace. You can't tell what it is because it's behind one of those chain leak curtains that are in Mm -hmm. front of fireplaces to keep the embers from coming out. Now, mind you, this chain leak curtain is the size of a garage door. It's literally like a theater curtain. Like at one point when they have to like open it up, it's like opening a movie theater. Yeah, it's heavy and big. Well, the thing that, that was behind it, it looked to me like one of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. The thing behind it? Yeah, the thing that was behind that that Nell sees. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That looks like it's coming at her from the fireplace. See, I couldn't really make anything out at all. Like, I I could tell that something was happening from, like, the music and everything and obviously her reaction to it. But I honestly, it happened so fast, I didn't really see what it was. But there's quite a few things in this movie that happens very fast that I didn't (laughs) see what it was or that it actually happened. So, yes. Well, Nell runs out and brings everyone back in to investigate. Marl and Luke enter the fireplace and find a trap door in the bottom. They open it and discover it's just a container for holding the ashes. They let the trap door slam shut and that causes a giant metal lion's head to come swinging down like a pendulum from up in the chimney and it barely misses the two of them. Well, it turns out this is the mechanism for opening the chimney's flue, and that's probably what Nell saw. But really, it was a Cenobite from Hellraiser. It really was giant. Like, once we can actually see what that thing is, and it, like, comes down full force, it's it's looks like a, like a cannon, or not a cannonball. Oh, it's bigger than a cannonball. It, like a wrecking ball. Wrecking ball. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of, not a cannonball. Yeah, yeah you like expect you could write to see it. Miley Cyrus on that shit. Exactly, and they should. She should every hour pop out of the fireplace do a performance because it's a goddamn stage that's how big it is you know as over the top as this movie is i'm really surprised that wasn't part of it (laughs) well next luke calls everyone over to the top of the stairs where written in red paint over crane's portrait are the words welcome home eleanor Of course, Eleanor freaks out and everyone starts blaming everyone else, saying, you did it. No, you did it. Even the doc thinks one of them did it. Well, no one will fess up to it, so Nell storms off and we can see small, bloody footprints on the floor. 
Well, Nell is in front of another fireplace. I'd be steering clear of those things if I were her. And and at this point, we just have too many in the house. There's so many fireplaces. That house has got to be so hot. <laughs> like if they have all those going at one time, ugh. Well, I think that's the thing. It's so big and drafty that it's probably cold. So they have to have fireplaces just to keep it. See, that's livable. even more of a reason that I would want to live there. There's nothing that sounds better to me than a f- huge drafty house with a library. Come on, sign me up. Well, this one is slightly haunted. Well. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> In this economy, you take what you can get. <laughs> <laughs> well, Morrow ends up coming in to check on Nell, and he takes her out to the garden room where we have not one, but two ridiculously large spiral staircases. Choose better than one. I, I mean, again, everything just has to be... It's like it feels like it came in and go, you know what? We're going to come in and do this movie and bigger and better than the original. <laughs> well, they got the bigger part. Yeah. Everything is bigger. Because we have to have two staircases. And these, it seems like they go up nine stories. They're so tall. Yeah. It's like I don't feel like anyone would feasibly try and climb those. <laughs> but the odd thing is we don't really talk about the staircases they're not brought we can see them in the background Uh, you get them as you see a you know like an overview shot of this garden room that they're in and you see they're at one end of the room but we don't talk about them they're not part of the legend of the house like it is in the original they're going to come into play later but the fact that they come into play later and they've not even been mentioned previously seems odd to me Mm mm-hmm well, Nell tells Mauro that all of her life she's been looking for an adventure and she believes she's finally found it in Hill House. Well, later that night, we see the writing has been cleaned off the wall and the painting, but it also looks like Crane's face has been wiped off in the process and you can see the skull that's underneath. It's actually a pretty freaking cool effect. Yeah, I actually really, I like that better. If I was going to have that painting... <laughs> it's better than the Wolverine yeah. beast thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next in Nell's room, as she's sleeping, something pulls on her foot and wakes her up. It's that familiar struggle a lot of people have with do I cover up my foot or can I sleep with it uncovered? You always cover the foot. <laughs> no, it gets too hot. You get hot feet. You gotta get, you gotta get hot feet. You gotta uncover it. <laughs> well, Nell wakes up to see her door is open. And there are more bloody footprints leading away from her bed. She follows them down to the library and discovers a hidden room behind one of the bookshelves. When she enters the room, she can hear a young girl calling for her and can see her shitty CGI apparition in a mirror. Nell realizes she's found Crane's study and she finds a letter from Crane's textile company. Nell figures out that Crane did indeed have children working in his mills and there were hundreds of them and they're all listed as dead. Well, Nell goes to Theo's room to try and tell her what she found and how she found it, but Theo just thinks she's sleep deprived and she just needs to get some rest. So it's really at this point that people are starting to really worry about Nell's sanity. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, all of this stuff, although Theo did have that experience of the banging, 
all this other stuff seems to just be a lot and it's not in anyone else's presence. So yeah, yeah they're starting to think she's slipping. Well, Nell goes back to her room and tells the fireplace with the creepy kitty faces that she's listening and is waiting to communicate with them. And they're all looking at her with their creepy, smiling, chubby faces. Well, she then sits down at a vanity and starts brushing her hair, but she soon gets her own paranormal hairdresser and something unseen tries to give her a new hairdo. Well, this freaks Nell the hell out and she jumps up only to notice a painting of a woman hanging in the room who happens to look exactly like a brunette Deborah Harry. Every time they showed that picture, I was like, it's Blondie, just as a brunette. <laughs> but in the portrait, the woman has the exact hairstyle that the ghostie just tried to give Nell. Well, the next morning, see, here we are. We are two whole days since Mary and Todd left. Huh? Who are Mary and Todd? See, you forgot about them because they were worthless characters and never should have been here to begin with. But two days have now gone by. They're still not back. And no one said, hey, shouldn't Mary and Todd be back by now? Where the <laughs> fuck are my keys? <laughs> Useless. Useless characters. <laughs> well, Nell goes to find Morrow, but instead finds his recorder and presses play only to hear Morrow talking about her. He believes Nell is emotionally unstable and can't figure out if she's doing all of this for attention or if she truly believes she's having these experiences. So the doctor is also concerned about Nell's sanity and thinks she's slipping. Well, meanwhile, Luke and Theo are in the garden room and Luke is starting to catch on tomorrow's game that this isn't really a study on their insomnia, but rather a study on their reactions to the incidents that are happening, which he also believes Morrow is behind. Well, Nell comes in and tells them it isn't Morrow that's doing these things, but before she can tell them more about Crane, she sees an apparition of a woman hanging from the rafters, and it freaks her out and she runs out of the room. Well, Nell then makes her way to the library and finds yet another book. This one is a photo album that shows Crane had a second wife named Carolyn. Carolyn is the Deborah Harry looking woman that Nell saw a painting of in her room. In the album, there is a photo of Carolyn in front of that garage sized fireplace in the foyer. Well, the pages of the album start to flip faster and faster, making the photograph appear to be moving like a film. And Carolyn calls out Eleanor's name and turns to point to the fireplace. So we also hear Carolyn tell Eleanor, Eleanor, fireplace. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty spot on. Yeah. There's no real questioning what There's the message is. Nothing cryptic going on here. We could have done without the theatrics of the uh, the pages flipping. I feel like that pages flipping thing was like very popular during that time for some reason. I remember yeah. that happening quite a bit in in these like horror movies to portray like figures moving in the background or you mm -hmm. know. Um, especially if there was meant to be like a monster or a ghost or something in the background, you know, they would shuffle those photos through and like, you know, the character would get closer and closer and closer. I just remember that being very heavy handed during that time, it seems like. Yeah. And well, they brought it back with the 
it yeah. the first chapter when the the slides start to that's true yeah, yeah flip yeah. forward yeah just, uh, it can be done very effectively yeah i mean it, it was an effective effect it mm-hmm. didn't look cheesy or anything it just you know if she's just going to literally say eleanor fireplace she could have just said eleanor fireplace yeah. and you know we didn't have to go through that but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just me picking on the movie just being a picky I'm pick just, i'm just na- you know noodling <laughs> just noodling the movie just sticking it in the ribs <laughs> just a little poking. firecracker <laughs> so nell ends up going back to the giant fireplace and opens up the trap door where all those ashes were and starts to dig well she eventually finds a child's skull which is attached to a child's skeleton which lunges up toward her in a pretty decent jump scare. That one that one actually got me. It got you. Yeah, it did. It, it was one of those things I was typing and I looked up right at the moment that it happened. So it was really like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it got me. Well, Nell can hear the spirit children yell to her and she's running around the house telling them she'll find them and get to them. Where are you? I can hear you. What do you want me to do? Well, she comes to a lock room that is apparently very stinky. She starts just going, oh, God, what's that smell? And starts pulling on the door trying to get in. But the door ain't having it and turns into a giant fist and punches the shit out of Nell, <laughs> sending her flying backwards down the hall. It's yeah. like, when did this become a Looney Tunes cartoon? <laughs> I halfway expected it to be paired with, you know, like a... You know, some sort of ridiculous like, cartoon sound. Pull out one of those giant hammers and bonk her on the head. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah, I definitely took notice of that scene too because I, I, in my notes, I think I even wrote down like, is this meant to be like the creepy door scene from the original? You know, like, are we supposed to be getting that like door scene? But like, if that is, the original was so much better. Yeah. Oh and my just God. even more effective on the fear scale. Like, that's just creepier to see like a door sitting there kind of breathing during mm-hmm. these like heart beating sounds and screams and stuff like that versus having this door sucker punch the shit out of you like that's just rude not scary yeah absolutely you know and, and the thing i kept coming back to as i'm watching this uh because at this point you know i've already done my research i know that this is a spielberg film and i haven't mentioned that to you yet and i just remember I kept saying, you know, Steven Spielberg made one of the most famous horror movies where you don't see things. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. You think he would understand how a lot of the times less is more. Yeah. And and maybe that was part of his problem with it. Maybe that's part of the issue that he had that he ended up, you know, removing his association with this mm-hmm. movie. Maybe, maybe that's <laughs> part of the thing. That he was just like, this is, it's too much. Mm -hmm. You did too much. Yeah, because I definitely think that this movie would have very much benefited from not having all that shoved in your face so much. I think the book and the original uh, movie both do such a good job at leaving even just a little bit up to the viewer or the reader. You know, you're left kind of sitting there questioning. um, And even if you're not, erring on the side of like oh is it was it her sanity or not you're still left wondering like what is truly haunting the house like what's going on and what is causing it and can it be uh you know can it be solved can it be taken care of 
there's just still a lot of questions but this one it was just like so heavy-handed and in your face like here's a ghost here's a door that'll punch the shit out of you and it it just it became nonsensical yeah yeah it really did the story gets convoluted and it's just too much mm-hmm. everything was too much mm-hmm. well obviously nell is vastly unprepared for this fight so she finds the others in the parlor and tells them all about the bones the child labor the murders everything crane wanted so much to fill his home with children he would abduct them from his mill and hold them captive in his house, eventually killing them so they could never leave him. But a second wife found out what he had done, so he killed her too. Or maybe she committed suicide as well. I don't know. It's like I said, it gets it gets very convoluted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the most that I could gather from what's going on. <laughs> well, regardless, Maro believes Nell has really lost it and is in a fugue state he admits to everyone what they're really doing there that this isn't a sleep study it's a study about the reactions to fear and now it's gone too far and he's shutting the whole thing down so he keeps trying to convince Nell that none of this is real but she insists it is and keeps telling him he has to go look at the bones well, in the next scene, Theo confronts Morrow in the kitchen and she is pissed about being misled about the study and about what it's done to Nell. There's a, a lot of yelling and emotions, but the really interesting thing about this scene is Catherine Zeta-Jones' second magic trick of this film. <laughs> she somehow manages to invisibly slap Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. You hear it. And you see Liam Neeson's face whipped to the right, but you never see her hand actually make the slap. <laughs> we even like had to rewind it. So we were like, uh, no, we, we missed that. And then we rewound it and we were like, oh no, it's just not there. Okay. Yeah. You can, if you slow it down, you can kind of see something It's blur. like at the top of the screen. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, What? It's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I'm telling you, she's got some fancy tricks in this movie. Little did we know, she should have been the one to take the punch from the door. Man, I tell you. She would have kicked its ass. It never would have saw it coming. <laughs> and neither would we. <laughs> well, next, Morrow then goes to the fireplace and tries to open the trap door, but it's jammed with a giant fireplace poker. And after two seconds of really trying... He decides it's too much work and he just gives up. Sounds like me trying to play any sport as a kid. Sounds like me trying to do anything at life ever. (laughs) Well, up in Nell's room, Theo tucks Nell into bed and leaves to go get her some tea. As Nell begins to fall asleep, we see the temperature drop in the room, which causes a shitty ice crackling CGI effect on the window. We then see the shitty ice turn into a shitty dark smoke-like shadow that enters the room and slides across the ceiling. The creepy kitty faces on the fireplace change to expressions of horror, and I hate it. They all have (laughs) these wide eyes and gaping mouths. It's horrible. Yeah. When you think it couldn't get any creepier or worse, they kick it up a notch because, again, (laughs) everything is over the top. It's like, oh, you thought this was scary? How about now? (laughs) And the smoke shadow thing, uh, 
now absorbs into the wall of Nell's bedroom and makes the wood embellishments in the room morph to look like Crane's face, complete with two eyes. And Nell's like, oh, it's looking for me. Well, Nell gets yanked out of bed and crawls over to a table saying, oh, what's holding my hand? And of course, there's nothing holding her hand. We'll get back to that in a second. And then we see the <laughs> shitty ice cracking CGI effect on the window now turn into Crane. And Nell says, no, I will not let you hurt a child and throws something through the window to break it. I don't know what it was. And a child <laughs> picks up a creepy baby head and flails it. It looked like a candlestick. I don't know what it was. OK, let's talk about this scene. Because, of course, if you read the original book or saw the original movie, you know that this is supposed to be the scene, the hand-holding scene. It was so minuscule that I forgot that it happened. I, I did, too. It was like, I just thought they weren't going to do it. Mm -hmm. Because that's the smart thing. If, if you've seen the original or read the book, you already know what's going to happen. You can't do it. You're never going to do it. And get one over on someone who knows that's coming. Yeah. So I just thought they weren't going to do it. But the fact they still try and throw it in and do such a shitty job of it, it was it was almost insulting. Yeah, because it, it was it was it, I just thought it was so goofy because it really felt like it was put in there for again, like the one like you said, the ones that have seen the original or have read the book. But it's almost kind of slap a slap in the face, because if you're not even going to do it how it should be done yeah or to the fullest it was just so half-assed it didn't even feel it didn't add anything to the story and even as like if i hadn't seen the original so close you know and seen this with like fresh eyes i still would have just been like okay it just didn't add anything to the story yeah it it, it was just in this story i guess i should say the hand scene's way cooler in the other story. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's it's amazing. It, it, it just seemed forced. Mm -hmm. and it was just weird, and it made me very sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, Nell runs out of the room and starts running through the house that is now collapsing around her. We see Theo return to the room with Nell's tea, and when she finds Nell is missing, she calls out for Luke and Morrow. Well, Nell is still running through the halls and catches her reflection in a mirror, but it changes and morphs and gives her a super creepy smile with super creepy teeth. It's just yes. more shitty, shitty, she, <laughs> shitty, 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 It's horrible. It's yeah. so bad. But it is like kind of spooky. Like I kind of hated it. Oh, yeah. It, it's creepy just because it looks so bad. Mm -hmm. If that was the actual effect that they were supposed to go for, nailed it. Yeah. But I think she's supposed to be morphing to look more like uh, this Carolyn, the second wife. She looked like she had a Snapchat filter on. Yeah. It was really bad. <laughs> well, next, Nell is back in the spinning floor room and catches a vision of herself pregnant. She then runs out into the hall and confronts the shitty CGI little girl ghost again that tells her only the doors can hold Crane. Well, the girl takes off and Nell goes running after her and keeps asking her, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? How can I help you? 
What do you want? It's like, bitch, she literally just told you. <laughs> I don't know why you are still run like 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. One more time. Can you, maybe can you write it down? I heard, can you text it to me? All right. Well, I'll figure it out. And, and also the, the whole time, every time she said, what do you want from me? This kid keeps saying, help us, Eleanor, help us. They're saying, help us. I told you what to do to help. She's now like, do sorry, it. I can't. What? What? It's time to put it into practice, bitch. Can't keep talking about it. You got to do it. <laughs> well, Nell somehow interprets this to mean that she now has to climb one of these huge spiral staircases to save the kids. So here we have what's supposed to be this really super tense, you know, moment. And it works in the original because the staircase has already been made part of the story. Yeah. You know, that's where the companion killed herself. Uh, the original Luke had tried to get on it. We know it's rickety. It's a dangerous situation. So when it comes up again and Nell has to climb it, it makes sense in the original. It's a, it's a, you know, a tense moment. And here it's just like, where, where are we? Why are yeah. we on the staircase? Well, of course, Marrow and the rest of them run into the room and he feels he has to go up after her. And he now takes the longest ascent scene in history. <laughs> I mean, it takes him forever to climb this thing and it's constantly crashing around them and they're down on the ground. They're like, Oh, that's not going to hold you. It's coming down. Oh my God. Be careful. It's not suspenseful at all. Mm -mm. You're just like, Oh my God, get to the top. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes very much like everybody needs to shut up and calm down. Let yeah. him climb to the top. And actually once he gets up there, she actually has to start helping him get up. It's just, <laughs> it's just all too much. Mm -hmm. Well, next they put Nell back into bed and agree to take Nell to the hospital in the morning when the Dudleys arrive to unlock the gates. Because guess what? You gave your only freaking keys to the two people that we've all forgotten ever existed. They gone. They gone. They left. Well, Marrow is now back out in the garden room dictating more notes when he's attacked by a giant statue that looks like it's taking a bath in the middle of the room. It tries to drown Morrow and then it spits up blood, but then it just lets him go and turns back into a statue. It's just like, oh, no, I'm done. I'm only allowed to come alive for 10 seconds at a time. <laughs> you may go. <laughs> Good job holding your breath. You win. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like it just stopped. Yeah. It's, he didn't do anything to make it stop. It just stopped. <laughs> it's like, oh, rats. Oh, well, maybe next time. Should have timed it better. <laughs> Fun game, you rascal. Get out of here. <laughs> have you checked out the spinning room? <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to my friends, Baby Heads. They're in the fireplace <laughs> in Nail's room. Be sure to stop by there. Check it out. They're a doo-wop group. <laughs> <laughs> he walk in. They're just singing on the fireplace. Baby Heads. <laughs> wop, 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 favorite thing <laughs> baby head doo-wop group maybe they can open for slime in the maggot booth <laughs> fingers crossed well back in nell's room the very intricate woodwork in the ceiling starts moving and lowering inching closer and closer to nell the room begins crumbling around her and coming close to crushing her 
and all the little carved children in the room start crying out, worried for Nell's safety. But not to worry, little creepy childrens. It's only more shitty CGI. Do not fear. <laughs> Do not fear bad CGI. We just wait several years to get better. <laughs> well, the others hear Nell's screams and makes it to her room, breaking in just in time to see Nell pinned to the bed by the woodworking from the ceiling. As they rush in to free her, they grab items to start smashing the wood that's pinning her to the bed. Then shitty CGI hands start trying to reach out to them from the ceiling to stop them. They end up getting Nell free and make their way outside. But the gates are locked, so they're going to have to break out. So Luke starts banging on the chains with a crowbar. Nell asks Morrow how he knew the house wanted her. Morrow asks what she meant and says, Why did you call me and tell me to look at your ad? But he says he never called her, and the first time they ever spoke was when they met in the house. To which Nell says, then who did I speak to on the phone? Mm. So here's our hand moment. And it's stupid. Yeah, well, I think it had the potential to be cool, but they just didn't play it right. Like, it just didn't come off like like the hand moment from the original. We just didn't have that that build up we didn't have it didn't have our attentions drawn and enraptured and have us hooked that when that line landed that we were like oh. exactly it was just plopped and we were, I mean it meant nothing to me I didn't even think about it really being supposed to be that this kind of big plot twist it was just kind of like oh, okay that makes sense the ghosts wanted to have her come to the house right yeah and you know the reason why i think it was so ineffective number one you never hear who's on the phone so it would be would be different if we heard his voice mm -hmm. and he said yes this is dr morrow i'd like to invite you to come and participate in the study, then it could have been a big reveal. Oh, that was never him. But we never hear their voice. And plus, because you have no idea who this caller is, it makes it this weird thing of, well, who the fuck called her? Mm -hmm. You know, so having this reveal at the end, it's not really a reveal because we never knew it was him to begin with. Yeah. And it was just so poorly done. Mm hmm. Well, Luke decides he's going to use Nell's car to crash the gate. It doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> uh, he basically crashes into the gate. The gate does not budge. Part of the gate falls onto the car. And Morrow and Theo have to get Luke out. Well, Nell can hear the house calling for her and she goes back inside. So by the time Leo and Morrow get Luke out of the car... They realize Nell is missing and go back inside to get her. When they finally find her, she's in a room that's done up just like her mother's sick room back in her apartment. I mean, we're talking down to the needle point that says everything has a place and everything in its place. And I'm really unclear as to why this room is here. I, I wasn't sure if the house is recreating her mother's room or if her mother's room ended up being an exact replica of this room that's already in Hill House mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because somehow Nell figures out that she is related to this Carolyn Crane, Crane's yeah. second wife, uh, which would make them her 
I think, great-great-grandparents. So Nell now feels it's her responsibility that she has to help these children move on to the afterlife so they aren't trapped in the house by Crane. Uh, but that still doesn't explain why this bedroom is here. Uh, just because she's related to Carolyn Green. Yeah. I, I I don't know. We're just we're just trying to get to the end at this point. Yeah, I think that's how it was for me too because I, I, I specifically remember kind of by this point in the movie really kind of being lost but being confused as to how I was lost. Like I was kind of getting frustrated almost because mm-hmm. I was like, I know what the story is. Like at this point... I understand the flow of the story. I understand what the whole catch is. You know, like there's nothing new that they can throw at me. I shouldn't be confused. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was like, I was getting frustrated and unable to enjoy the movie because I couldn't keep up. And as the viewer, you shouldn't be left with like grasping at straws, trying to put pieces together that don't fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. Again, they just tried to do too much with it. They tried to complicate it too much. And tried to make this crazy, convoluted mythology. I, I think they were so concerned with tying Nell to the house. Why mm-hmm. is Nell drawn to this house? Why did Hill House want her? They mm-hmm. have to say, oh, well, it has to somehow turn out that she's related to the Cranes. Well, I feel like that could have been done a lot easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also... It doesn't fucking matter if she's related to anybody. If the house wants her, the house wants yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just, it got so complicated. Well, Luke says they have to go, and they are all starting to run for the front door, but all the house's doors are closing as they run, and by the time they get to the foyer, they are locked inside. Nell tells them that Crane's not going to let them leave. Well, they all run into the parlor and Morrow and Luke start trying to smash the glass in the windows to get out. But there are bars on the windows and Crane keeps like whipping the chairs out of their hands. So they ain't getting out that way. Also, Morrow gets a big old chunk of glass stuck in his hand that Nell has to pull out for him. And this is probably about the goriest scene that we get in the whole movie and it's a nice squeamish moment i mean you know it gives you the heebie-jeebies it looks like they're pulling a big old piece of glass right out of the palm of his hand Mm -hmm. uh but yeah that's about as gory as this thing gets (laughs) well luke is pissed and runs over to another portrait of crane and starts beating and slashing at it with a candlestick but nell tells him to stop because all he's doing is getting crane pissed So, also, fun fact about this particular scene, Owen Wilson says that during the filming of the scene, a piece of debris came off and hit him in the face, causing him to have to get stitches. Oh, that's interesting. Well, Luke has finally incurred the wrath of Crane, who sends him flying into the garage-sized fireplace, slamming him into the logs, which brings down the lion's head flue, And it swings down, decapitating Luke in the process. Wow. (laughs) R.I.P. Luke. R.I.P. So earlier when it almost hit him, that was some foreshadowing. Yes, it was. Some Final Destination shit. What? Foreshadowing the foreshadowing movie. (laughs) 
Well, next, the trap door in the fireplace flies open and bones and ash go spewing everywhere, sending Maro, Nell, and Theo running up the stairs to escape the deluge. But just as they arrive at the top of the stairs, Crane's portrait comes crashing down, horribly disfiguring Maro's jacket as it slices the breast pocket off. It's probably his favorite jacket, too. It'll never be the same. He's worn it like every day. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, next, one of the Griffin statues comes to life, and Nell fights it off long enough for Morrow and Theo to escape, and the Griffin to get bored and just stop fighting her. And then she won the chess game, and she got to go on to the next level. <laughs> That's wizard's chess, Harry. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we have another statue that literally just gives up. It just stops and goes, all right, I'm good. Everything's here just kind of like blase. It's yeah, like, I'll like, fight for a bit, but honestly, like, I just don't want to waste the time. It's like, bam, bam, slap, slap. Like, look, this is Crane's fight. We didn't even want the kids here. Look, okay, he said I had to slap you. I didn't want to. I'm sorry. I know it hurt. <laughs> it's the old Cranester. You know him. And you hit me with a candlestick, so we are even. Everybody knows you don't say no to the Wolverine, so... <laughs> Well, Nell runs after Morrow and Theo, but loses them and sees another portrait of Carolyn with her mother's necklace on. And this somehow tells Nell what she needs to do. It's like this moment. It's like, oh, yes, you're wearing the necklace. I'm wearing the necklace. Got it. Thoughts exchanged. And yeah, it's just all coming together like puzzle pieces. And I was just sitting there wishing i had a necklace so i knew what the fuck was going <laughs> really? on where's my necklace well Nell goes back to the foyer and calls out to crane the house suddenly goes quiet and as Nell walks back down the stairs more of the statues start coming to life and the house starts to look like it's breathing Nell makes her way to the giant double doors with the bronze sculpture of purgatory and rereads the inscription all ye who stand before these doors shall be judged so nell calls out crane again and his portrait sets back up and his shitty cgi spirit comes out and confronts nell maro and theo come running back in but nell tells him she's not afraid of him anymore and he begins to weaken the door comes alive and pushes both nell and crane into it crane gets trapped by the door but eleanor is released and falls to the floor she looks up and sees the spirits of all the children now being released from purgatory and ascending into heaven. They thank Nell as they go. And Nell, having saved the children, lets everything go and passes away. The next morning, the Dudleys pull up to the house and see the car crashed into the front gate, with Morrow and Theo waiting outside to be let out. Mrs. Dudley looks up at them and says, city people mr dudley then asks morrow if he found out what he wanted to know but morrow is still in too much shock and can't answer so we just cut to a lovely wide crane shot and see that the dudleys drive an adorable blue volkswagen bus it's my second favorite thing in this movie <laughs> and that way we end on a high note Yes, because my third favorite thing in this movie was the end credits, because it meant that it was over. And that's what we get next. The movie's over. And it was like seven minutes of credits, right? Yeah, because I paused it, and it still showed that there were like seven and a half minutes left. I went, seven, is there like a 
you know how they do those extra scenes yeah, after like the, the credits? Credit yeah, scenes. I was like, is, that, is there another scene? I fast forward seven damn minutes of credits. All of them were that Alan Smithy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everybody removed themselves. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Uh, this movie, it was, it was, it was a, it was a time that we had. Yeah, it, it was, it was something else. Basically, Luke and Nell die, and Morrow and Theo get to walk out mentally scarred with some serious PTSD triggered by ridiculously oversized home decor. Yeah. There was just so much. Mm -hmm. There was a lot in this movie. Yeah. I'm honestly glad that we tackled this the way we did. I mean, this, this movie wasn't in part, like particularly on my radar for any reason to begin with, but I'm glad that we watched it in this capacity because I think honestly, had we watched this one first, you know, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have watched the original or wanted to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so I'm glad that we watched the original first and kind of got to experience the more authentic, I guess, mm. version of, of this uh, remake of the story, I guess I should say. Uh, maybe the better version. Better version. Yeah, yes. that's, a, that's a good uh, way to put it. It's just, yeah, it, just everything and that one landed. You know, it was mm-hmm. so fun. All the... The dialogue was really done well, and the characters' personalities were all like really sussed out, and it just, it just everything was better. Uh, yeah, and, and for <laughs> me, like unexpected, I just didn't yeah. expect that. And so, well, I went into this one expecting the CGI effects to kind of not be great because sure. you just have to go into that in in these movies expecting that. I really just didn't expect it to not work as as much as it did. I mean, I I liked the original so much i was like this one's gonna be i know it probably won't be as good but it'll still be fine but Uh yeah i I, I just this one didn't hit for me well we do have some prompts to get to and uh i'm interested to see if you were able to answer them all because i know you mentioned while we were doing our notes you were struggling with one of them did you come up with an answer for all of them yeah i eventually did all right all right well what was your popcorn spiller uh, so this was the one that I did struggle with, uh, just because I couldn't think of like one particular standout moment that, like, shocked me or scared me a ton. Uh, but I think, for me, I will say that I gave it to like the actual like baby heads in Nell's room. Right. I mean, the moment that we walk into the that bedroom, those really do kind of like set the the mood for this room to kind of be ominous and creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we do kind of have those reoccurring moments where they, they turn their heads and then they do these like creepy scenes and everything. And I think that more so would just be like my personal thing where I would just be like, I would not want to fucking sleep in there with right. those. So to me, that's uh, worth spilling my popcorn over because I'm not going to be hanging out with them. And I just, I, I, while the movie wasn't about them, I feel like they were used the most effectively as far as portraying um, Nell's descent into whatever this is in her bedroom you know uh so yeah that's what i gave it to was just kind of how creepy those things were was the the baby heads they were indeed creepy yes yes but what about for you did you struggle on this one at all no i i knew immediately that i was gonna say it's when that skeleton jumped up from the ashes Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. just because it just it got me (laughs) it got me well, uh, who was your scene stealer for this one then? You know, in my last one, it was hands down, no question, Miss Dudley. I just absolutely adored her in the original. But this one, forgettable. 
just not even worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. So I had to go with Nell, but really I have to go with Lily Taylor, yeah. the actress. I adore Lily Taylor. I'll watch her in just about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was great. She, there was one scene that was so unfortunate. You know, when they make movies, they can't always use the audio that is recorded at the time. There might be background from machinery or outdoor noises or for whatever reason and so actors have to go in i believe they call it they have to loop i think they, they go in and they re-record their voices but you have to try and do it and match it up mm-hmm. to how you did it the first time and that's a difficult thing to do mm-hmm. you know especially when you're acting it's supposed to just be organic and free-flowing and now you have to try and sound natural but you know match your mouth and, yeah. and the movements and stuff and there was a very obvious uh scene it's it's when she's running through the house and she's calling out to the kids and it's very obvious that she had to loop that stuff mm-hmm. oh god and it came across so so bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> so bad but i certainly don't blame her for that mm-hmm. uh i i just thought she was a lovely bright spot in this film yeah yeah i was excited to see her and in a horror movie because I think we even talked about last night she is kind of well known in being in these horror movies is kind of like that kind of mousy just your average you know believable main character main female lead you know uh in, in the movies and so it was nice kind of getting to see her in our realm of the dead zone as far as the movies that we've been mm-hmm. uh, watching so far so yeah I was I was excited to see her as well for my scene stealer though i actually ended up putting owen wilson or or luke uh primarily just because for me it was so bizarre to see him in like a horror movie setting uh-huh. i just it, i think it just kind of kept taking me out of it when he would do his whole wow thing <laughs> like i just it was so bizarre because i i'm used to seeing him in these like kind of jokey characters are just kind of like yeah. the hokey you know guy that's just corny and cheesy and funny and that's what he does best and does hilariously so it kept taking me out when when he would kind of come on the screen and not that that's his fault it's just that's his niche you know mm-hmm. that's what he's he's known for and so yeah it kind of kept throwing me out of it but at the same time I enjoyed having him there he kind of ended up being my comedic relief yeah and and i don't even think intentionally sometimes i don't think that was his intentions but it came off that way so for me i just took it as it as it was and enjoyed it and so i i despite the fact that it was bizarre seeing him in a horror movie i thought it was fun to see him in in one all right well that brings us to gorgasm what'd you put for yours so (laughs) for this one although uh you know these characters aren't uh in there a long time i ended up doing the piano string to the eye situation oh yeah only just because it was so jarring uh as this initial like injury and there was one part that particularly i was not a fan of it was like right after it happened they hand her like a little cup thing Mm -hmm. and they're like here this will keep the blood from getting in your eye yeah and I was like, I don't understand why we're collecting this blood in this cup. <laughs> like, I was so thrown off by that. It kept, for whatever reason, it kept, like, gnawing at me the whole movie. I was just like, why the, f- are they keeping it? Like, was that for a sacrifice? Like, I thought maybe they no, were. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even need, like, I don't even need a justification. Like, nobody needs to explain it to me at this point. It like, wasn't it- collecting the blood. 
the cup was around the eye and you were seeing the blood go on the outside of the glass. So it was keeping the blood from getting to the eye. Oh. It just looked like it was collecting. It looks like it was inside the cup. Okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. But I still. imagine that would be very disconcerting. Like, why are they putting so much blood on her eye? Yeah, that's, well, that's what I was thinking. I was just like, it seems like, why are they collecting that in this little? And it was like the perfect little size to just go over like her eyeball. So it was just yeah, like, it was why just do like we a have little, these... uh, a cordial glass there for sipping liqueur? Well, now all I can think about is eye blood in there, and I hate it. So <laughs> that was my orgasm because I was just like thoroughly concerned the whole time. Turns out she wasn't collecting blood, but you know what? That's what I thought the whole time. So there uh, you go. Can I change my answer? I want it to be that now, too. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. <laughs> Collected blood in tiny little glasses. <laughs> Oh, did what what ended up being yours, though? Well, I I did the uh, when they pulled the glass out of the doctor's hand. Yeah, that one was another good one that originally. And I think because it happened so close to the ending, it was still like fresh on my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I originally had that down, but I was going back and looking at my notes and I specifically made a note about the weird blood collecting cup. Um, (laughs) So I was like, well, I made a note about it. That's worth discussing. Uh, And so I changed it to that one. But maybe subconsciously, I was just like, somebody needs to answer this for me. And so I just needed to put it out there. And you answered me. So, But I I had totally forgotten about that. I'm I'm not kidding. Those two characters just literally became forgettable as soon as they were gone. And we never talked about them again. Well, it probably wouldn't have been as memorable for me if I would have realized what it was doing. (laughs) Yes. But because I thought they were collecting the blood, that's what immediately (laughs) stuck it in my head. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, are they going to bring that back to the house and like offer it? End of the movie. The doctor whips out this tiny little cup of blood. It's time! He pours it into the giant fireplace (laughs) and appeases the souls of the house. All the babies come up from the fireplace and they're like, oh, you know that like dancing baby from the old um, like VH1? Uh, Yeah, from uh, Allie McBeal. Yeah. Yeah. The babies come up and they're just (laughs) dancing in the fireplace. The whole play. I blood! (laughs) Woo! See, this movie could have gone in a way cooler direction. Oh, man. We should remake it. We should. (laughs) So for this one, we actually uh, didn't have very many choices. And I think I even (laughs) briefly (laughs) forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately when the movie was over, Danny completely forgot the entire story. I have a very big problem with object, <laughs> object permanence. So, like, it was like the movie ended and my mind forgot it existed. What apparently, were we doing? I literally, it was like the movie ends with two very large deaths. And I'm like, did anybody die in this movie? <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah, two of the main characters. Uh, so, out of those two, who did you choose for your memorable mortality? I, I had to go with Luke getting his head bit off. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, that's who I chose as well. It was it, just because it was so intense and crazy, and it was really our big scene as far as seeing somebody kind of go down in a mortal way in the movie. So, yeah, it was just... And plus, again, because I think I had chosen Owen Wilson as kind of my scene stealer, it was a little bit sad to see him Bittersweet, go. Bittersweet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's who I chose as well. Yeah. And plus, I gotta admit, even the CGI on that portion wasn't that bad mm-hmm. because it happened so fast. Yeah. So when his head pops up, it's it's 
basically just a blur mm-hmm. and then you see a blur as the lion's head continues swinging and you see the heads in its mouth yeah. so yeah it, it, it was pretty cool pretty cool so then i i think that just means we close it out with our final decision that this one is going in the vault at the top of the vault <laughs> <laughs> this one we will actually purchase all of the copies to make sure they are all safe and we will put them all in the vault. We will watch it every Christmas. Every Christmas. Maybe Easter. No, I, I on mine, I, I originally was like kind of met on it. But even like this morning when I woke up after we kind of like slept on it, I really was like, no, I just genuinely didn't remember much about it. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't have wanted to like, <laughs> I mean, it sounds so awful and I, I don't want it to come off that way, but like I wouldn't want to. F- to sit there and like show it to a friend you know what i mean like the right other, yeah the other one we talked about how fun it would be to like sit down and and you know the twist coming and like getting to experience that with a friend and sit there and watch that the movie with them and go through that whole ride with them but this one i was just kind of like so so and i if i can't tell myself that like i want to buy this movie and show it off to a friend then i don't feel like i would want to put it in the vault so absolutely yeah i knew as soon as it was Uh, quite honestly i knew probably before it was over Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) pretty early i i knew that this was most likely not going to go into the vault so it's our first one our first one that uh, we both agree it gets left behind in the dead zone yeah you know and and i certainly never want to dictate to anyone what they should watch and what they shouldn't as that's why i don't consider us we're certainly not critics or movie reviewers we're not here to tell you whether or not you should watch this movie or not if it sounds appealing to you and you want to watch it go watch it just because we didn't particularly care for it doesn't mean you're not gonna like it yeah and maybe this is one of your favorite scary movies maybe you know you have this fantastic memory associated with this you know maybe seeing at a slumber party with a bunch of friends when you were younger and so that makes it this great favorite movie. And I think that's fantastic Yeah, that there's something that you can associate about this movie and find joy out of. Mm-hmm. But for us, not good. Yeah. yeah. We just <laughs> and so, pants. yeah, we're going to leave it behind in the dead zone. Yeah. But we got its original in the vault and we will bring that puppy out anytime. Yeah. And the dead zone's uh, really fucking weird, just like this movie. So, you know, I think it's in good company. It's a, it's a match made in dead zone heaven yeah because there is weird shit that goes on here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and weird shit happened in that house so you know it seems like an appropriate place for this movie to go well that's gonna do it for us episode 17 is in the can in the can Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. Lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching a more recent cult favorite, Jennifer's Body. 
So head down to the show notes for a link to check out that trailer. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob just for being a really great group of guys. You know, sometimes the dead zone can get a little crazy and it's good to have good people around you. Yeah, you need your friends when you're in weird places. And remember, if you're looking for the dead zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. Pantry scenes were filmed at Belvoir Casser. Nope. <laughs> Belvoir. Belvoir. Castle. Come on over here and visit my casser. <laughs> Y'all see the size of that casser? Holy cheese lamoles. You don't matter how many cows I can fit in there? I don't want to brag or anything, but I got to say, I got a pretty huge casser. So, <laughs> I don't know. Fill it out. See what you want to do with it. I'm going to need y'all to be quiet. I got a casser in the oven, <laughs> and I don't want it to fall. So, put your slippers on. <laughs> so, silence your noises. Mind your P's and Q's. Read the sign. Beware the casser. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.